Hello and good afternoon. This is Bill Allen coming to you from downtown Tyler, Texas at the West Irwin Church of Christ. Hope you have been having a really good week and I hope you are joining in. If you're joining in live at three o'clock on Thursday afternoon, welcome. Glad to have you. If you're coming in a little bit later, watching this on my Facebook page or on our West Irwin Live or West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook pages, or even on our website at westerwin.com, that's Irwin with an E, R-W-I-N, westerwin.com. You click over there to social media and other resources, and you click on that live streaming uh, link and scroll down a bit to video archives, and you'll see all kinds of good stuff, all of our previous worship services and my sermons and others uh, speaking in our summer series and uh, even uh, these Facebook lessons that I share on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. We have lots of good stuff there and appreciate you joining us today. Appreciate your willingness to study the Word of God. We are using uh, the Daily Bible edited by F. Lagard Smith and we are over halfway through. Hey, it is July and uh, so we are now uh, working on the second half of the year. We're still in the Old Testament, of course, and will be until we get to about mid-October because the Old Testament, uh, so much more uh, books and um, chapters and verses, but at the same time, wonderful, wonderful messages of God's care for his people, and that's where we are right now. We've been looking primarily at the book of Isaiah, but uh, as he does throughout this chronological study, uh, he puts everything in their time, and that means that we're going through some things in First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings as we're looking at these uh, Old Testament prophets, including Isaiah. And so today, I want us to take a look at a very special, special time during uh, the reign of a very special king. Uh, king Hezekiah led the people of Israel celebrating the Passover and had some interesting things that scripture just kind of mentions and then moves right on past. But I want us to take a look at some of that and, and consider that. Uh, at, when Hezekiah comes to power, however, uh, things in the southern kingdom of Judah are not very good. And we're going to see why. It's primarily because of his father and perhaps some other previous kings that had reigned and had taken uh, the southern kingdom of Judah away from the word of God and the will of God, much like the kings in the northern kingdom of Israel had. We looked this past Sunday, I mean this past Tuesday, at the war that took place between, uh, that was taking place between uh, Ahaz, the king in Judah, and the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, Pekah, son of Ramaliah, who reigned in Samaria, and also Rezin, who was the king of Syria, or Aram. So there was a lot said about that in Isaiah chapter 7 through 9. And we, we hear a little bit more about that from this uh, the person writing down the chronicles of those events. Uh, we read about this some in the books of uh, First and Second Kings as well. But I want us to look at Second Chronicles, uh, starting in chapter 28. This wonderful time of reform and worship that Hezekiah will bring about uh, is actually a response to what happened during the reign of his father, uh, King Ahaz. So I want to read a little bit about, about that, about King Ahaz and the time of the Jews 
in the southern kingdom of Judah. Remember, this is the group that's loyal to the descendant of David that's on the throne. And that person at this time is King Ahaz. And their capital is Jerusalem. Solomon's temple is still standing and will for a while still. Um, and, uh, and, and yet there are some horrible things that are going on. And mostly because of the weakness of Hezekiah's father, King Ahaz. It wasn't always like that with him, but it's like that uh, during this time. And so 2 Kings chapter 28 starts out this way. <clears throat> Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David his father, or his ancestor is what that means, unlike David his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and also made idols for worshiping the Baals, the false god of the of the, the false gods of the Canaanites. Verse 3, he burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben Hinnom and sacrificed his children in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites, specifically what God had said you must not do. Verse 4, he offered sacrifices and, burnt, and burned incense at the high places on the hilltops and under every spreading tree instead of in, according to God's word there uh, at the temple and the altar. Verse 5, therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hands of the king of Aram or Syria. The Arameans defeated him and took many of his people as prisoners and brought them to Damascus, which is the capital of Aram or Syria. He was also given into the hands of the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, who inflicted heavy casualties on him. And then he goes on and he lists many of those. So Ahaz is a very, very wicked man and a very, very unfaithful king. And he gives in in a lot of different ways. We skip down to verse 16. In verse 16, it says of Second Chronicles 28, At that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria for help. And remember, we read a little bit about that uh, just uh, this past Tuesday when he was threatened by Syria and by the northern kingdom of Israel. He, instead of calling upon God, to deliver him, he calls upon the king of Assyria, and he is only too happy to oblige, but at a cost, as you would figure. Verse 19, 2 Chronicles 28, the Lord had humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had promoted wickedness in Judah and had been most unfaithful to the Lord. Tiglath-Pileser, or Pull, as Dr. John Willis would call him, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him, but he gave him trouble instead of help. Ahaz took some of the things from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and from the officials and presented them to the king of Assyria, and but that did not help him. <laughs> and we see that pattern over and over again, don't we? A king in Judah becomes restless and scared, and so instead of calling upon the Lord, he calls upon one of the area kings to help him, either Egypt or Assyria in this case, or some other nation, and, um, and it just doesn't go very well. And that's exactly what happens. Oh, the king of Assyria helps him, uh, as God had prophesied, uh, to overcome uh, Syria or Aram and Israel. And Assyria, the Assyrian king takes both of those nations and peoples into exile and captivity. But he spares Judah, at least at this time. 
And one of the reasons he spares them is because of what will happen under King Hezekiah. Uh, continuing on in verse 22 of Second Chronicles 28, In his time of trouble, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus, or Syria, who had defeated him. And listen to this. For this is what he thought. Since the gods of the kings of Aram have helped them, I will sacrifice to them, so they will help me. But they were his downfall and the downfall of all Israel. You know, we become impatient with God, and that's what happened with King Ahaz. He became impatient with God, and he refused to look at his own life and the life of his people and his decisions and, and, and blamed God as being weaker than the God of Syria, <laughs> the gods of Syria. And so he said, I'll just make sacrifices to their gods because they seem to be winning. Isn't that horrible? Uh, no conviction, no desire to remain faithful to God's word, but rather just let's just do whatever seems to be working right now, whether it's right or wrong. Unfortunately, we have leaders today who carry on with that same uh, thinking. Uh, and so Ahaz in verse 24 gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and cut them in pieces. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem so he wouldn't let them worship where they were supposed to worship. Instead, he had them worship in places that God had condemned. In every town in Judah, he built high places to burn sacrifices to other gods and arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of his ancestors. And so these, this little sidelight of, of uh, King Ahaz in verses 26 and 27 of 1 Chronicles 28, the other events of his reign and all his ways from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Ahaz rested with his ancestors, he died, and was buried in the city of Jerusalem. But, the chronicle says, he was not placed in the tombs of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, succeeded him as king. Boy, what a commentary on what the people thought of King Ahaz and what they knew about him and the way he led the people of Israel, God's chosen people. They refused to let him be buried with the other kings. Uh, just an incredible commentary. Well, as bad as King Ahaz was at that time, King Hezekiah is good. And, uh, and this is when King Hezekiah is going to take over and begin to uh, try to reform uh, the people of God and the nation of Judah, including the temple in Jerusalem. Second Chronicles 29, beginning in verse 1. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, a very young man. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. A whole lot different statement than what we read at the beginning about King Ahaz. Second Chronicles 29, verse 3, In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Remember, Ahaz had closed them and locked them so the people wouldn't worship there according to the Lord's word. Verse 4, He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, Listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. 
They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel, according to the law of Moses. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and serve him, to minister before him, and to burn incense. What a great challenge from a righteous man, a very young man, 25 years old, and he gathers the priests and the Levites together, and he says, I want you to stand strong. I want you to be faithful with me. We're going to clean house, literally. We're going to clean up the temple of the Lord, and we're going to clean up this nation because the reason why we are suffering as we are is because our parents, my father, the King Ahaz, uh, and others before him and alongside of him took us away from the word of God. And that's why we're suffering, and that stops now. In verses 12 through 17 of Second Chronicles 29, we read about some of that action uh, that the religious leaders took. We read about uh, some, a little bit about who they are. And then these words in verses 18 and 19. After they had done some of that work, they went in to King Hezekiah and reported, We have purified the entire temple of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the table for setting out the consecrated bread with all its articles. We have prepared and consecrated all the articles that King Ahaz removed in his unfaithfulness while he was king. They are now in front of the Lord's altar. They're now where they're supposed to be, they're saying. And they have fixed a lot of that. And so the next morning, King Hezekiah begins to tell them, uh, okay, let's, let's start doing what we're supposed to do. Let's start offering up those sacrifices. Uh, let's start having the Levites in the temple leading worship. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And then verse 29 of Second Chronicles 29. When the offerings were finished, the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshiped. King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer, what we call our Psalms. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed down and worshiped. Verse 31, then Hezekiah said, you have now dedicated yourselves to the Lord. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. So the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings. Uh, it was a tremendous time of giving because now their worship had been restored. The temple had been restored. They were now following the word and will of God again, and they couldn't have been more joyful about it. And what joy sees as a result, we're going to see one thing in a moment, uh, uh, more reforms, but first of all, it brings worship, and worship includes giving. And these people were so grateful to God uh, for bringing them a righteous king. And I'm sure they could hear Isaiah prophesying in the background, and perhaps Micah as well. They were so grateful for that that they said, oh, we'll give, we'll give, we'll, we'll sacrifice, we'll bring the animals, we'll do it all. And it was just an incredible time of worship for the people 
of God. Um, you skip down a little bit to uh, verse, 35, verse 35 of Second uh, Chronicles 29. They, there were burnt offerings in abundance, together with the fat of the fellowship offerings and the drink offerings that accompanied the burnt offerings. So the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. Well, how is that possible? It's possible because of a righteous man leading God's people to do what they were created to do. I think what in their hearts they really wanted to do. And he gave them the opportunity and he made it uh, to where they could get back in the temple. The priests and Levites could uh, cleanse and purify everything and make it ready. And then all the people gathered and they started offering up those sacrifices and worshiping God in the way that he wanted them to once again. Well, this leads to a very specific time of worship in Second Chronicles 30. Uh, and this is when the Passover is observed. The interesting thing about this is it's in the wrong month. It's in the second month instead of the first month. It's supposed to be in the first month. But it was not possible because they weren't ready. They weren't ready. Numbers 9, Numbers 9, the first 13 verses, gives an allowance for those who are ceremonially unclean or away on a journey during the first month when the Passover is supposed to be observed uh, and gives them the opportunity to, uh, to make that same worship at the same time in the second month. So that may be what is going on here. Um, but it's a stretch. Second Chronicles chapter 30 starts out this way. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel. So what Hezekiah does here, he, does, he, he doesn't only go send word throughout all the southern kingdom of Judah, but he sends word to his brethren in the northern tribes as well in the kingdom of Israel. They had not been yet taken into captivity by the Assyrians. There were still some Israelites living there. And so he sent messengers and said, hey, come home, come home, come home, come home to Jerusalem, come home to Solomon's temple, come home and we'll celebrate the Passover as one once again. What a great, great king. Verse two, the king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me a little bit nervous. They decided to do this, but apparently God saw their hearts and he says, you know, this is a good thing. Verse three, they had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. Notice verse four, the plan seemed right both to the king and to the whole assembly. And so it seemed right to them. You know, we didn't do it in the first month, but the, the law says, the book of Numbers says, that if a person is ceremonially unclean or they're away and they can't celebrate in the first month and they can in the second month, well, that, they decided that that described the whole nation. <laughs> so they said, okay, second month it is. And we want everybody to come. Again, he sends out word in the verses that follow. Uh, calling on those northern tribes and the Jews in the northern kingdom of Israel to come and celebrate this grand uh, uh, time of worship uh, in the Passover week. And so in Second Chronicles chapter 30, starting in verse 13, we read about uh, this grand uh, moment. 
Second Chronicles 30, verse 13, a very large crowd of people assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread or Passover in the second month. They removed the altars in Jerusalem and cleared away the incense altars and threw them into the Kidron Valley. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the temple of the Lord. They, they had great humility. They said, you know, we have, we have sinned. We have sinned, not just the people, but we, your religious leaders, have sinned. And they felt very badly about it. They repented. And they brought sacrifices accordingly. Verse 16, Then they took up their regular positions as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. They sought forgiveness for themselves, and now they're going to seek it in leading the people uh, for their own forgiveness and worship. The priests splashed against the altar the blood handed to them by the Levites. Now notice verse 17, Since many in the crowd had not consecrated themselves, the Levites had to kill the Passover lambs for all those who were not ceremonially clean and could not consecrate their lambs to the Lord. So the priest did it for them. Although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, those northern tribes who had traveled to get there, although many of them had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. And you expect fire to come down from heaven and burn them all up, right? But the middle of verse 18 and the verses that follow uh, tell us about our God. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah, verse 20, and healed the people. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. They know this is wrong. They know this is not according to the law, but they also know their hearts are exploding with worship to God. And they're seeking the Lord. It's not that they don't care what the will of God is or what the word says. It's that they're seeking the Lord and they know full well what that is and they want to follow it as best they can. And Hezekiah prays, dear God, please accept their worship. I know, I know. It's the second month. I know they're not completely ceremonially clean according to the law, but look into their hearts and, and accept their worship. And God heard Hezekiah and healed the people. What an incredible, incredible statement. But let's keep reading because there's more to come. In verse 21, the Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing, just as the law says, except in the second month, while the Levites and priests praised the Lord every day with resounding instruments dedicated to the Lord. They had a great time of worship. I mean, it was incredible. Verse 22, Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. They knew their Bibles. They knew what God wanted. For the seven days they ate their assigned portion and offered fellowship offerings and praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Now look at verse 23. Like it couldn't get any worse, it does. Verse 23. The whole assembly then agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. So for another seven days, they celebrated joyfully. And again, we're looking for the lightning bolts, right? We're looking for a fire from heaven to come and say, look, at that's not what the word says. It says celebrate it seven days. It says 
slay the Passover lamb on the 14th day and then celebrate for seven days. And, and that's what you're supposed to do. Well, they were having such a grand time and it had been so long, so long since the Passover had been celebrated, even in Judah. But now you have a, a, a united group of Jews, some from the northern kingdom as well and those northern tribes. They're there with the, the people who had been loyal to King David all this time. Not very long ago, some of these had probably seen each other on the battlefield, and now here they are worshiping the Lord together. And they're having such an incredible time of it that they wanted to celebrate another week. Let's do this seven more days. We don't want this to end. Verse 24 of Second Chronicles 30. Hezekiah, king of Judah, provided a thousand bulls and 7,000 sheep and goats for the assembly because people were running out and they were too poor. And the officials provided them with a thousand bulls and 10,000 sheep and goats. A great number of priests consecrated themselves. Verse 25, the entire assembly of Judah rejoiced along with the priests and Levites and all who had assembled from Israel, including the foreigners who had come from Israel and also those who resided in Judah, northern and southern tribes. There was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, his dwelling place. This is just an incredible moment, and it's one that gives me pause as I read. This is in the Old Testament, not the New Testament. This is according to the law of Moses, not according to uh, the, the time after Jesus had died and was buried and was raised and the church was going along and were saved by grace through faith. They were saved by grace through faith then, too. They just had to follow the law of Moses. And so here's this group of Jews from northern and southern tribes gathering together in the wrong month, the second month, but understandably, there is some biblical background for that in Numbers uh, chapter, chapter 9. And some of them not being ceremonially clean, but the king praying for them and God just accept them and, and because this is the right thing and, and, and God hears the prayer and accepts their worship. And then they say, you know, this is such a joyful, incredible time and it's been so very long Let's do this. Let's, I don't want it to end. Let's do this seven more days. And they do. And they do. They celebrate the Passover for another seven days, joyfully worshiping and encouraging each other and praising the great God who was their creator and savior, the God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, the God who uh, called David, the son of Jesse, uh, to be king of his people and who made Solomon build that great temple that they're worshiping at even as they speak. And now he has brought all of his people together once again to celebrate his Passover according to the word of the Lord. And, and he blesses them and accepts their praise and their worship because their prayer reached heaven, the dwelling place of the Lord. What a great, great statement. Well, what happens now? How do you respond to a great worship experience like that? How do we respond to great worship experiences today? Well, if it ends with just a great, nice feeling of warmth on the inside, that's not enough. That's not enough because the goal of worship is, of course, to praise the Lord, but primarily the goal of worship together 
communal worship like this Passover, like our Sunday morning worship assemblies. The goal is to encourage one another to live faithfully before the Lord. Yes, we can praise God any time at any moment, but when we praise him together, when we gather together to worship and praise him, there's a, a purpose there that is very, very significant. And that's the horizontal part, the encouraging each other to be faithful. And they got that. They understood that. Why do you say that, Bill? Because of Second Chronicles chapter 31. We'll read starting in verse 1. When all this had ended, this magnificent two weeks of worship, when all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah, smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles, these places of idol, idolatry and idol worship. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh, the northern tribes, when they went home, they did the same. After they had destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and to their own property. What an incredible, incredible two chapters, uh, two or three chapters this is, starting in chapter 29 with Hezekiah bringing about reform, cleansing and purifying the temple, telling the Levites and the priests to get their act together so they can lead worship, and then calling on all of the people of Israel, north and south, to come and to observe the Passover, to come and worship wholeheartedly and to give your praise and your sacrifices to the Lord. And they do that. And they do that in such an incredible way. They do it for another week. And then they leave from there and they say, we're committed to following the God that we have worshiped and praised for these two weeks. And we're not going to allow these places of idol worship to continue. And they sought to destroy them. It's just an incredible, incredible moment. It's, it's, um, it's really that time when uh, we realize how important the heartfelt worship is, according to the Word of God, of course, but that worship from the heart. Why didn't God allow King Saul to do that? King Saul was rejected as king because he went farther than what the law allowed, but his heart was nowhere near where God was, and his heart was nowhere near where these people were in Hezekiah's day. And so God accepted their worship, and he accepted that, um, led by uh, a wonderful, righteous, young king, uh, King Hezekiah. Direct corporate worship then leads to more reforms, to obedience, to right living, and it still does that today. So these words about Hezekiah uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 31, beginning at verse 20. And this is where we'll close today. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. Not always. He did have his moments when he fell. But overall, his heart was committed to following the Lord like no other had been before him. And only King Josiah, who would come after him, would do similar things. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything that he undertook, in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. And so will we. 
Maybe we'll see it in this life. Maybe we won't. Hezekiah saw some days of blessing and some days of challenge. But he followed God wholeheartedly, committed to doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And God blessed him. And he blessed his people. And they prospered. May we do the same today. May these words be said of us as they were said of King Hezekiah. We sought our God and worked wholeheartedly. And so we prospered. Amen. I'll see you next Tuesday.